Welcome to London Lopate at Large. I'm London Lopate. The weather in our area continues to be a major news story, so you have to wonder how it's affected this year's growing season. What effect have the big swings had on the plants of those of us who like to grow things? Joining us now with some tips for how to deal with this complicated situation is Pete Morosky, a nurseryman and environmentalist and the owner of Native Landscapes and Garden Center in Pauling, New York, and a regular contributor to this show. And we invite you to Call us as well with your gardening questions. Our on-air number is 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. Hello, Pete. Welcome back to our show. Oh, thank you, Leonard. It's always a pleasure to be on your show. Now, Pete, trees came down over the weekend as a result of tornado-like weather. Um, Why are some trees more vulnerable than others? Well, trees are going through a tough time right now, Leonard, because there's a lot of, it's been so wet. We've had over 40 inches of rain this summer. The ground is soft. So when the wind kicks up, it kind of loosens their grip on the soil. And many trees are having a tough time because of a lot of diseases and a lot of pests that are in the soil right now. So trees are going through a very tough period. You know, I mean, you look at the ash tree. You know, there's the emerald ash borer uh, that's killing all the ash trees. You know, the spotted lanternfly is all over the place, uh, wreaking havoc on a lot of our fruit trees. Uh, you know, there's a, a, a beech bark disease. There's oak decline. And everywhere you turn, there's a tree problem. And uh, this uh, funky weather is not helping at all. And I'd imagine that 40 inches of rain uh, has had an impact on other plants. Oh, it sure has, Leonard. Um, You know, let's take a good look at our growing season. And, uh, you know, back in May when it started, it started out to be a very dry season. May and June uh, was very dry, and many of us thought that it was going to be a a drought-type summer. But then the skies opened up in July, August, September, and October. And like we said, there's been 40 inches of rain since then. And, you know, this rain didn't come in little, you know, a storm here and a storm there. It was literally deluges of rain. I mean, we got three to five inches of rain Mm. and a few storms. And uh, it happened. What's that? A lot of flooding. A lot of flooding. Uh, And it uh, it couldn't have come at a worse period of time for trees and plants because it was very hot. And if you remember this summer during these heavy rains, it got unbearably hot. And, and then here came the funguses, you know, things like uh, Phytophthora uh, came in, um, apple cedar rust, uh, a, lot, a, a lot of a lot of wilt type funguses. And it really affected the trees. Unbelievable. And, and a lot of the landscape plants, um, you know, and, and then we had uh, our, our growing season was extended right until, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, early November, uh, which is unheard of up here in the Hudson Valley. And, you know, it, it created, you know, with, with the trees having a tough time with all the wet weather and the funguses, and then an extended period. November was the sixth warmest, on, uh, I mean, October was the sixth warmest October on record. It also created, you know, a, a, like I said, an extended growing season, uh, but, but also it was still very warm. And uh, uh, plants... And, and I talked to a lot of a lot of vegetable growers about this. Uh, uh, the vegetable gardens uh, 
we thought were going to be under uh, underwater, but you know they weren't. They really weren't. Tomatoes did extremely well, and and corn did very well. So you know this this bad weather played a, 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 a horrible role when it came to trees and shrubs, but uh, from from a vegetable and plant standpoint, um, it, it it really was a, a nice moist uh, summer, and and we had a lot of yields out there according to the local farmers. So you say that uh, trees and shrubs are being affected by climate change, weather con- extremes, uh, introduce pets. Um, is there anything we can do to help? There is. Uh, Leonard, and uh, what we what we need to do is uh, we need to study to find out what's really going on in our landscape and plant trees and shrubs that are adapted to these many changes. And you know, and here we go back to this whole native plant concept. Native plants that have been here for the last ten thousand years have adapted to the many of these changes, where a lot of exotic species have not. And you know, it's not only ex- uh, affecting plants, but it's also affecting wildlife. You know, a, a, a lot of uh, animals are going through a tough period. A lot of birds, there's like a, a bird pandemic going on right now because a lot of, uh, because we, they can't find the the, uh, the, the the right food for them. Uh, insects as the well, fall. the insects that pollinate. Uh, the insects, it, 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 it's across the board and, you know, it, it's, it's really affecting uh, the whole ecosystem out there. And, you know, if we can do our little part each one of our individual homes to study the type of soils and, and and microclimates we have around our own home and plant the plants that are adapted to these particular locations. You know what? We're not only uh, helping ourselves, but we're helping the natural world around us. But okay, so we had hot, rainy weather, and now suddenly it's been quite cool for the past few days. Uh, is that typical for this time of year? And what kind of impact do these extremes have on plants? Well, it's not typical. And what's happening is, is we're going, you know, as you know, I have a big uh, a background in meteorology. And as we go through these events of uh, warm followed by cold, hot, uh, uh, wet followed uh, by dry, you know, it, it's a sign that our climate is changing. And right now, as we all know, since the 1970s, uh, we've gotten uh, much warmer, uh, but it's it's you know plants, especially here on the east coast, because we're so close to the Atlantic Ocean, like gradual change. They don't like uh, you know this abrupt change because the ocean is supposed to help us moderate these changes because the ocean temperature, which has a big effect on on our climate, uh, is supposed to create a slow change in each season. But that's not what's happening anymore, and these hot followed by cold followed by wet and dry is 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 creating a lot of stress on a lot of plants now look at no look at october for instance october was a very warm month and now november was a very it's been a very cold month uh, up till now but you know looking at the long range forecast it's supposed to get warmer again <laughs> starting tomorrow and the next week is supposed to be warm again so these fluctuations are creating a lot of problems in the natural uh, in the natural world and do those weather extremes affect the the growing season can we do anything to protect our outdoor plants well we can and you know one of the things we can do is uh, proper cultural practices on our landscape plants. 
for instance, it's uh, like we said before, it's been, you know, these storms have come in and they've, they've kicked up a lot of winds. For instance, uh, you know, like uh, the last storm kicked off a tornado in Long Island and another tornado up here in Millbrook and, 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 and tornadoes across Connecticut and, and New England, which is very uncharacteristic for this time of year. So what we can do and what we recommend doing to many of our customers is going through and pruning let's say a lot of the dead out of our trees and what we and by doing that you're creating a situation where the wind is able to travel through the trees and not create uh, a sail so to speak in the trees which won't loosen the tree out of the ground and topple it over uh the same thing with shrubs pruning practices proper cultural practices will keep plants and trees and shrubs healthy throughout these uh, extreme conditions i uh I suppose that uh, a number of our listeners uh, have uh, questions for you. So let me remind our listeners who want to speak to Pete Murawski that our call-in number here is 212-209-2877. are, are there things that we can do? Well, first of all, you, you suggest that we can uh, work now to prepare for the big winter storms, which seem to be a good possibility this winter. Um, other than the, uh, you know, doing little things with the trees, is there anything else we can do? Oh, yeah, there's a lot of things we can do that can help nature and and, and, and that could help uh, each other, uh, you know, as, as we get through this. You know, uh, you look at these storms we had this summer, and uh, like I said, you know, we're talking about two, three, four inches of snow, four inches of rain uh, per storm, but convert that into snow mm-hmm. or ice. And that's what concerns me the most, Leonard, uh, coming into this winter. You know, if we get, a, if we get these storms continuing this winter like we had this summer, you know, we're looking at possibly two to four feet of snow per snowstorm and that could be devastating you know uh snow loads on roofs uh you know it, it it's just it, it it can create a a a, a, a catastrophe uh, of weather that we haven't seen in a long time so you know what can we do uh, in and around our homes to uh to help with these situations first of all you know and and and, and i talk to my customers all the time about this you know look around the house and, and, you know, for instance, our gutters, you know, when it snows heavily and then, you know, and then gets warm and then it's cold again, you know, this snow is going to have to melt off the roof. And if we have dirty gutters, okay, this snow, uh, as it's melting, has nowhere to go. I mean, I can't tell you how many houses I've been to where the gutters look like there's a garden growing in it and it needs to be just be cleaned out so that the water can rush through the gutters and evacuate from the house or it'll build up, you know, un- under the shingles and-, and-, and create a leaky situation. Also, if it drips close to the foundation and you don't clean away from the foundation and these gutters and downspouts don't work, that just leads into problems of water uh, getting into our basements. So um, we need to just create a situation where, you know, ice melt, you know, where, where we can create a safer environment in and around our homes so that when these big storms do hit, uh, that it doesn't create any damage. Or how do you do that to our house? Well, uh, proper cultural maintenance practices in and around our home. Uh, like I said before, pruning trees and shrubs. Uh, you know, uh, cleaning up around our property. Uh, you know, uh, making sure all the drainage works. Uh, 
you know, use proper ice melt, uh, uh, you know, like uh, try to stay away from calcium chloride and use magnesium chloride so that, you know, we've even had situations where we get heavy snow on the roofs and, and, you, and you rake the snow off the roof to put a little uh, a, a salt or ice melt in the gutters themselves so that they, they melt and, and, and that they don't freeze up and get under the roofs of the houses. A lot you know, of, there's a lot. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I'm, I'm assuming uh, since we're in New York, a lot of our listeners don't have out their own gardens, but uh, many streets here in New York have trees, uh, and some of them have uh, plants in the front yard. Um, is it the city's responsibility to do all the things that you're suggesting to keep those trees safe? Right. Keep the trees stay safe. You know, this time of year, because we've had such a late leaf season. Should I hope sure- that the mayor is listening? <laughs> yes, let's hope so. And um, you want to make sure these gutters and downspouts and 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 and, and all these uh, catch basins are cleaned out of leaves and garbage. You know, if you live in like a condominium complex or, you know, where they do have some green space around, you know, uh, uh, clean uh, the leaves off the lawn. Not so much uh, uh, in the garden beds, because we'll get into that a little bit later. You know, we can leaves are a very good thing when it comes to mulch in the garden beds. So you out in the streets. So you suggest uh, we don't burn them. Uh, no, don't burn the leaves. Uh, the, the, the leaves are nature's mulch. You know, they, they have a lot of beneficial insects living in them. And they really are, uh, you know, they could save you a ton of money when it comes to mulching your beds just by keeping the leaves in the beds. And also keeping a thin layer of leaves on your lawn and grind them up with the mower. You know, these, these will add organic material to, uh, to the soil and, 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 it, and it will help, you know, when it comes to you know, top dressing in the fall, you know, because right now, Leonard, as you may know, this is a great time of year to renovate your lawn. And what I mean by renovating your lawn, I don't mean by putting down synthetic fertilizers and creating algae plumes in all the local lakes and streams, but by using leaf mold and compost and top dressing your lawn and aerifying your lawn and overseeding your lawn. And these are the things that work instead of you know, a lot of these uh, chemicals and pesticides and fer- and, and, and uh, inorganic fertilizers go the natural way. Let Mother Nature do her thing. And it, it does just as nice as a job as, as putting chemicals on your lawn. Uh, Pete Moroski is our guest on today's Leonard Lopez at Large. He's the owner uh, of Native Landscapes and Garden Center in Pauling, New York. And uh, this is WBAI New York. FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. And we have a number of people calling in who want to speak to Pete. Our number is 212-209-2877. Let's go to the first call. BAI, you're on the air. Yes. Hi. Um, Leonard, thank you for taking my call. Um, I'd like to know, your guest mentioned that he's also a meteorologist. And I'd like to have his opinion on how the heavens or the the stars and uh, planets and the sun affect our climate. Well, let's start. We'll start with the atmosphere and we'll work our way out. You know, the atmosphere is a fluid and it runs from high to low pressure, just like uh, like a stream or a river would. 
uh, goes from high to, to low pressures. And, you know, that's how the dynamics of, of the atmosphere work. And, and then you get out into celestial bodies, the moon and its, and its gravitational pull create tides and also affects how storms are developed and how big storms can grow. Uh, and as we know, the sun warms the planet. And, and, and that plays a big role, too. Um, it's hard to say moving out from there and other planets affect uh, the, uh, the weather, too. Moving out from there, it's hard to say uh, what other effects uh, they have. But let's take the sun, for instance. You know, uh, I've been reading some stuff recently that we've gone through. Uh, we've just come out of a low sunspot cycle. OK, and sunspots. Uh, create, uh, you know, when, when, when they are discharged off, of, off the sun's surface, uh, throw electromagnetic uh, radiation out uh, toward the Earth's surface. And that's why you've been seeing a lot of aurora borealis recently. Uh, you know, they've seen the northern lights as far south as Albany, New York, and across the Midwest. And Okay, so uh, are, you, are, the, are, you, are you saying there that, that the sunspots actually have an effect on our weather, either they make it colder or warmer for one way or the other? Uh, not so much colder. Well, um, you know, if you look down through history during low sunspot cycles, um, the weather has gotten cooler. And what some climatologists are saying is, you know, there's no doubting uh, the fact that we're in a, a much warmer climate. But, uh, you know, a low sunspot cycle, volcanic activity you know, tends to block shortwave radiation from coming into the Earth, and that cools down uh, the Earth's surface. So, you know, some theories are saying that we could be going into a, a, a cooler time, uh, but time will tell. And sunspots definitely, and, and, and sun flares definitely play a role in, in, in the Earth's weather. Thank okay, you so much. I mean, I mean, this is, I, I wanted to add one other quick thing, if I may, Leonard. Okay. I'll be quick. Um, but this, see, I'm, I'm emphasizing this because this seems to be going against our recent acquired religion of climate change and all the climate conferences that says that we, the men who are driving around in our automobiles, are causing climate change. And I don't hear anything that you're speaking about mentioned at these, at these climate change uh, symposiums. So I'm, uh, I'm a little... Wait, I, wait I, l caller, are you suggesting that because Pete said things m might... might cool off that we're not having global warming and that that should we no, shouldn't be concerned what I'm saying is that when you have these big global symposiums which we just had recently these things of concerning the sunspots are never brought up in these symposiums well, well, I think because because we have no control over them but we do have control over coal and uh, and methane and things like that Pete am I wrong no you're right hydrocarbons you know, what we spew out into the atmosphere definitely creates a heat island effect across across the world. But you got to understand, we've gone through a lot of we've had a, a, a lot of changes in our uh, in our weather over the last uh, over millions of years where we've had, uh, you know, ice ages and we've had warm. And this is before, uh, you know, any, you know, before we had any cars or, uh, you know, we were throwing a lot of. Uh, particulate matter in the atmosphere. So it definitely goes through cycles. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, this is what some climatologists are telling us. And I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying their science is right or their science is wrong. I'm just telling you what I'm reading out there. Okay. Well, thank you for your call. Let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. 
Hi. Hi. Can you hear me? Yes. Hi. My name is Rose. I live in Flemington, New Jersey. I have a question, and I also have a comment. The first question is, with the lanternfly and all the other creepy crawlies, um, could beneficial nematodes be actually sprayed on these patches of eggs? And secondly, how effective is neem on these items? It seems to be a product of a mahogany-like plant. It's an oil, I believe. Uh, it's a direct, direct application to the, right. uh, you know, to the test. Right. The spotted lanternfly, um, <laughs> there, there doesn't seem, you know, as far as I'm, as far as I'm seeing, I don't, I don't, I'm not hearing a lot about control with uh, neem oil. Uh, you know, there are certain pesticides that will control it, but I'm not seeing where neem oil is is one of them. But um, Pete, you've I, never we, been uh, recommended the use of many most pesticides. No, I don't. And a lot of times, uh, how about what we need beneficial do, nematodes? Beneficial nematodes uh, might work. You know, um, when when you read the instructions, you know, check to see if they'll work against the uh, the lanternfly, and if they do, you can give it a try. You know, some of these beneficial, you know, some of these organic methods are are very good in the garden, and uh, yeah, you can give them a try. But read read the instructions very well, and make sure you're using it in a in a in a um, you know. A, and, and, and you know, follow the instructions. And you know, a lot of people think if I do double or triple the doses, it's going to it's going to take care of a lot of these insects or bugs. But that's not the case. So yeah, and you got to remember too that the beneficial nematodes uh, have a very short shelf life. Okay, so um, you got to uh, you, you got to use them as soon as you get them. And you had a comment. Oops. Yes. Uh, also, I live in, a, in an area where there's. Everybody mows their grass on Sunday or whatever. It's just so noisy. There is out there something called Nomo. Uh, I think it was called Excelsior grass. It came from Egypt. And you plant this. Uh, I, would, I would imagine it would probably be available in sod as well. Um, and you, in the spring, you give it one cut and then you leave it alone. Think of oh, all no the mow. time. And You're space. talking about no mow lawns. No mow. Yeah, You're talking about yeah. grass. I think everybody who's, who, yeah, who, people who are building houses and stuff want to look into this and parks and such. Why do we have to fart around with mowing lawns? It's just so <laughs> noisy and wasteful. And again, it's carbon. You know, those uh, tractors don't run on uh, love. <laughs> well, you got to understand that it goes beyond just putting the no mow grass seed down. You know, there's a lot of grass seeds flying around in the air. And that, uh, oh, yeah. you know, they're going to come and land in your lawn, too. And, yes, the no-mow lawns are going to work, uh, you know, and keeping the, the, you know, where they were planted, because a lot of them come in plugs. Uh, but you're going to get, like, ryegrass, blue, uh, bluegrass, fescues growing in between them. And that's where the problem lies on a lot of these no-mow lawns, that, you know, it's, this, it's, it's the seed of other grasses that are floating around the air, establishing in amongst these no-mow lawns. You've also suggested in the past that we should try to turn our lawns into native wildflower meadows and That's plant correct. more trees in them. That's correct. We, know, we don't need to mow acres and acres of lawn. We could take the perimeter of our properties and turn them into wildflower meadows and, and native wildflower grass meadows, kind of 
mimicking, uh, you know, a, a wildflower feed or, pra- or a prairie type environment uh, with seeds and plugs and, and cut down the size of our lawn. And, you know, n- not only that, but, you know, try to go get away from gas powered mowers and go with more of an electric mower, uh, go with more of a, a real mower. You know, these are things that are, you know, that are going to, you know, lessen our carbon footprint. Okay. I would also like to comment. I would also like to comment on the fact that we have something called corn gluten meal, which will retard weed seeds from sprouting. Right, corn gluten, if spread, it retards weed seeds. But a lot of people use corn gluten for crabgrass control in a lawn. Uh, it creates a, a protective barrier where it doesn't allow seeds. Uh, or, or, or anything to germinate within the area that it's planted. So uh, corn gluten works uh, on, on some stuff. And, uh, you know, it, it, and, it, and, it, and you got to remember that the time of year is very important, too. Uh, you know, in the spring, you want to uh, put corn gluten down to retard a lot of any of the plants that you don't want to grow uh, on, on your lawn. But in the fall, you want to get away from a lot of the, that kind of uh, application. And, and, you know, I'm a big fan of, of, of throwing a lot more seed down, a lot of compost on, on your lawns. Uh, and that's going to go a long way uh, and, and, and stay away from more of the chemical applications. Thank you so much for your call. Uh, our number here is 212-209-2877. BAI, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Yeah. Hi. Hello. Uh, this is Russell Barcata from Fairlawn, New Jersey. Um, I was. I have a um, poinsettia plant. It's still doing good from last year. It's got green leaves. Um, uh, how do you keep it, like, red all year round? Hmm. Or is that possible? Well, poinsettias turn red uh, with with the light change. So what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to shorten the daylight uh, that it gets. You know, put it in a room next to a window where each day uh, the daylight gets a little shorter, so it, it sparks uh, the red red bracts in the poinsettias, and they and they begin to turn color and flower. If it's in a room uh, being affected by artificial light, it doesn't get that change between uh, short uh, light and and long light. So it needs that subtle change of light in order to get the point set of leaves to change color. And um, if you start now, you might be a little too late, but if you start now, you may be able to get some change. But this is something that needs to you need to start doing in September. Oh. Is it, what what room do you have? Honey, go ahead. He wanted to know what room do you have it in? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I didn't hear that. It's in the living living room. And there's a and lot I of artificial light around it? Well, uh, it's in sunlight now, but uh, I only put the, the light on if it's dark. Right? I guess I have to leave it off. Huh? Yeah. Uh, it, you you want to shorten the daylight period around it, you know, maybe put it in a room where it gets, uh, you know, more more natural light. And that'll help it uh, create the leaf bracts and flowers that create the red the, uh, the red tint to it. Yeah. I, yeah. I can get away with it if I don't use when I, if I don't use that room. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that's right. So uh, in a room where it's, uh, you said shortened light. 
where the light gradually gets shorter each day, where it gets more of a net. Or you can do it even with artificial light, where you shorten the daylight hours or the amount of light that the plants get by two or three minutes every day. Oh, oh I see. Oh, thank you. Thank you for your You're call. And, and that reminds me that uh, most of our listeners, I assume, um, don't have their own homes. And, and when they, they grow things, they grow them in their houses. Um, has the weather affected them even though they're indoors? It can, uh, especially during uh, very cloudy periods. Uh, you know, when they're not getting uh, as much sun as they usually get, uh, you know, we've been through a period uh, most recently where we've had a lot of cloud cover because we've been under the influence of uh, uh, of a lot of storms. And, uh, you know, the lack of direct sunlight will definitely affect how plants respond. Uh, but the more natural light you can give a plant, the better. Let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi, I, um, I'm calling... Uh I have a pretty large palm tree in my apartment. It gets quite a few new stem growth, but every, if, it, if, if I get two new stem growth, I'll lose one of the, uh, the uh, palm tree leaves. And I was wondering what that's about. I, I watered enough, I believe. It seems to be a little more perky when I do a lot of spraying, you know, of, on the leaves. And, but I, I, it just seems like I'm losing too many leaves. I'm, I'm getting a lot of new growth, but... I get two new growths, and then I, I lose one leaf. Yeah. Um, have you taken a, a magnifying glass to it and see if you got maybe an aphid or, or, or a, a scale problem on it? Um, you might want to check to see if some, some bug may be going after the plant underneath the leaves in areas where you can't tell. Um, how long has it been in the container that, it, that you have it in? Um, been in there for about let's say six months six seven months but okay. I, I, I picked it up because it's like almost like a tree now it's a pretty big plant i picked it up to right. make sure that the roots are not growing out of you know the pot you know from the, the holes and that's not the situation i'm just i'm curious as to why that's happening because i get yeah. quite a bit of new growth yeah uh do you know what kind of palm tree it is uh, you know, regrettably, I, I don't, um, I don't well, know, but it's a stereotypical one. It doesn't look like a, a kind of a fern kind of a thing. It's like the most typical palm tree that you see in, in, uh, in an indoor, indoor area. Is it a multi-stem stem or a single stem tree? Multi, multi-stem. Okay, and each one of the stems is pretty healthy from a, from a leaf standpoint? Yes. In other words, they all have yes. plenty of leaves on it? Quite agree. Uh, new stems come up um, constantly, but as the new stems come up, then one of the leaves will uh, will die. You know, it'll start at, at the edges of the uh, of the leaf, and then it will just die. Now, does know, it does the leaf? Does it, what color does the leaf turn? Does it get black at the end of the leaf before it falls it, uh, off and it dies? It turns yellow. It turns yellow. The whole thing turns brown. yellow at once. Not the whole thing. No, it's a very subtle situation. But once it starts to, uh, to turn like yellowish on the edges of the leaves, I know that that particular leaf ultimately will pass, and then I'll get two more new growth. You know, it's and, uh, and the new growth looks good. Uh, the plant yes, has got a good color. Yes. The new growth looks good. There's no yellow uh, tinge to the edge of of the new growth. 
But as the new growth comes in, one of the larger leaves will start to get yellow at the edges, and before you know it, it will uh, be dead. And these are these are these are larger leaves that have been on the plant longer than the shorter leaves that are growing new. Yes. Okay. Sometimes that happens with plants where uh, some of the older leaves will die off. Uh, to make room for the new growth. You know, it happens out in the natural world where uh, if it didn't happen, that these plants would have leaves right up through the whole stem system. So it sounds like it may be a, a natural progression in the plant as the, as the plant is growing and getting bigger. Um, as long as the plant has a good color and it's not showing any signs of stress, uh, I wouldn't worry about it. It sounds like it's, it's a natural progression for this plant and should be fine. Fantastic. Okay. The signs of stress. What, what, what are they? Other than oh, the signs of stress is discoloration, uh, you know, uh, wilting of the leaves. Uh, just the plant in general looks unhealthy. It sounds like you know what your plant looks like when it's healthy. But if it starts to get a very unhealthy look, uh, then you're going to have to maybe uh, look into you know or bring the or show uh bring pictures of the plant down to your local um uh, garden center or florist and see if they might be able to help you with with any kind of tips that might bring the plant back but sounds like right now you're okay okay thank you so much for your call and this is wbai new york 99.5 fm streaming live at wbai.org Environmentalist, the owner of Native Landscapes and Garden Center in Pauling, New York. That's in Dutchess County. And he's a regular on our show. We take your calls when he's here at 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. And uh, Pete, before we get to them, uh, the Farmer's Almanac recommends waiting to cut down plants with interesting seed heads because birds feed on them um, and and birds prefer them to to bird feeders but um, how do you know well Leonard you bring up a, a, a great situation in the sense that um, we need to maybe change our cultural practices in our outdoor gardens you know many gardeners go out there this time of year once our plants get hit by a, a frost or two and start cutting back stems and seed heads and what we're not understanding in some cases is that a lot of these stems and seed heads are feeding uh, many uh, cardinals chickadees blue jays throughout the winter and in fact a lot of these stems and plants are used for cover during cold weather and bad storms so uh from an ecological standpoint what we need to do is we need to keep a lot of these seed heads up keep a lot of these stems up keep a lot of these ornamental grasses in place for the winter 
to keep uh, to keep our, our, our wild friends uh, alive and well uh, through the the lean parts of the year. Okay, well, we got lots of calls coming in. Again, our number two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven. If you want to speak to Pete Morosky, let's take a call. Bai, you're on the air. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, I got a question. If I have plants by my windowsill. And there's a, the window in between the sun and my plants. Are they still getting sufficient light, or does the window block something? Does the glass block anything, Pete? No, the glass shouldn't block anything as long as it's clear glass. Um, it's it's not a, a type of glass that gets shaded when it uh, uh, when the sun hits it. Is it? Is it just clear no. glass? No, correct, correct. I just want to know if there's anything that being somehow some sort of rays that are not being delivered properly to the plants because of the window. No, not at all. You know, the important thing when you have plants up against windows is that you keep the window clean inside and out so that as much sun gets through the window as possible. And you want to also try avoiding positive phototropism. And what that is, is that's when you have the plant growing up against the window and it starts leaning toward the window trying to reach out toward the light. So every week or so, turn that plant 180 degrees so that it grows even on all sides. Are you running into any problems like that? Um, I mean, yeah, that's typical. Yeah, so you spin your plant every once in a while to try to keep it, to try to keep it growing evenly on all sides? Yes. Yeah, good. So it's, it sounds like you're doing okay. Keep that window clean and uh, you should, it shouldn't create any problems for your plants. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for your call. Let's go to another call. BAI, you're on the air. Hello. Hi. Hi. It's you. Oh, hi, hi Leonard. It's me. Thank you. Yeah, hi, Pete. Uh, hi. I'm only from uh, Staten Island. Uh, yeah, I've, I've heard you on uh, on uh, Leonard's uh, program uh, a couple of times. Yeah, you're really very helpful. I have a, a, a question. I'm calling from Staten Island. Uh, we live in a 100-year-old house. It's a very large backyard. We're 50 by 240. And um, we're empty nesters. Our kids are all married. Uh, we've been here since 1983. And um, over the years, I we pretty much abandoned our backyard uh, behind the garage. And... Uh, I got a notice from the health department, it, and uh, let me just read a part of it. It says, harborage conditions that encourage the nesting of rats exist in that dense, high green weeds, high vegetation, dense, high bamboo. I planted some bamboo about 10 years ago back there, and scattered uh, uh, rubbish was observed uh, on your backyard. And I have to go to court pretty soon and, and answer this. And um, it's, I have a lot of actually native plants growing by back there, which we kind of enjoy. And um, I was wondering if you could, like, put me in contact with somebody. I, I know you're up in Pauling, New York, but I wonder if you could, like, get me in touch with somebody uh, to, to refer to before I appear in court for this i really don't want to put a lawn back there i have i already have a lawn in my front yard um right. you know we uh, yeah so like that's my uh, situation right now 
Right. You want to, well, you want to try to find somebody who is, um, you know, who is into ecologically friendly landscaping. And it sounds like you, that, you know, you, you don't really well, want to I get actually out there. have a card. I'm looking at a card right now. It's the Native Plant Society of Staten Island. Well, that's your first phone call or that's your first contact. Call them. Uh, you know, they probably have a group of people that um, can help you and, and they can start putting you on the right track. But and, Pete, and why is this you... even a problem? <laughs> well, uh, you know, it, Leonard, it, it really, it's pretty it's pretty tall, tall weeds back there. And, you know, my neighbors complained, and they called the health department oh. and uh, yeah, back in... Because of in, tall uh, plants? Yeah, they're, they're six foot high. Well, the, you know, the, the, the bamboo is about 18 feet high at this point. Uh, well, you want to get rid of the bamboo. That's the first thing you want to get rid of, because bamboo is, is invasive. So the first thing you do is have the guy, whoever you contact, uh, get in there and rip out the bamboo and start a program... Of, of plants that are adapted to your particular location, you know? Is it sunny? Is it shady? And they'll, they'll bring in plants that can work and, you know, hire them to do the maintenance on these plants on a regular basis. And, you know, tell the city of New York that you're working in that direction um, and they should drop all, all, all the, the charges against you. Tell them, listen, you're actively working with a, with a group. This is the, this is the, this is the group I'm working with. You know, this yeah. is our game plan and, 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 and we're going to implement it sooner than later. And, and that should uh, create, you know, that should get them off your back. Now, Pete, okay. Uh, obviously, bamboo is not a native plant. Would you consider it an invasive species? Absolutely. Part the, many bamboos are, are are invasive species, and they and they just you know they rip and tear, and they you know they take over a, a lot of areas that uh, can can be uh, you know nativized. So um, the first and, and their root systems are very deep. They get between the cracks of sidewalks. They just you know are you. Sir, are you finding that problem with this bamboo? Yeah, the reason we, uh, the reason my wife and I planted that bamboo many years ago was because our neighbors sold the backyard of their property to a developer, and they put up four two-family homes back there, and we really wanted some privacy. Uh, you know, four two-family homes behind an existing two-family two house. Instead, uh, you become bamboozled. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, there are many other plants I that, really you know, privacy at the time. I really how tall, how tall is this bamboo growing? It's about 18 right feet. You know, yeah. actually, you know, it's, it's, you can do, you can do the same so, thing with plants, native plants that are a lot nicer. A lot of the grasses, um, a lot of viburnums will do the same thing. You can put shads back there. You know, there's a lot of low shrubs, dogwoods. That, that once this bamboo comes out, you can replace it with, and it's a lot more environmentally, ecologically friendly. And not only that, when these plants are established, they'll uh, they'll bring in birds, and it'll create a, a quality of life for you. These these native oh, plants, you know, so not only uh, have a function to them, but you know, they also help wildlife even. In, 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 in the borough of Staten Island, which is probably one of the wildest boroughs out there, yeah. uh, you, you could bring in, uh, you know, uh, beneficial birds and insects. And uh, you and your wife could go out there and, 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 and with your binoculars. And, you know, next thing you know, you you're know, a bird watcher and you're traveling all around the world looking for exotic yeah. birds. <laughs> thank you for your you call. Know, this is actually, yeah, thank, thank you. 
Let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Hello. It's you. Yes, hello. Yes. Hi. Thank you. Hi, I'm in New Jersey in an area called Roxbury, and um, I, I have a large yard. Every time I put anything, I purchase anything from any of these places or seeds, it just won't grow. And uh, I, I just have given up. Um, I mean, and this is years of purchasing expensive plants that just won't grow. Now, I think the, the region is uh, mountainous and cool. But All right. So let's 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 talk a little bit about your your spot. Uh, you said you have a is it is it very hilly and rocky? Yes. And there's is lots it, of little rocks in the in the soil. Is it shady? Yes. Or sunny? It is shady. Yeah. All right. So what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to find plants that thrive in that particular environment. And this is a common problem sometimes in the landscape uh, that some of us, and, and I'm guilt, I'm just, I was just as guilty of this at one time too, are forcing plants into a situation where they just won't thrive. And off the top of my head, if you've got a shady situation and it's very rocky and hilly, you want plants like sedum, stuff that tolerates uh, uh, that type of environment, uh, ferns, you know, there's a lot of plants out there that thrive in this whole shady, rocky environment. And if you contact me at uh, p.nativelandscaping.net, I can send you a list of plants that will work in your particular environment. It's just that, you know, right plant for the right location. we got to find plants that will survive in your particular environment. And it's a lot of times it's not plants you can find growing in, in, in the in the corner nursery. You know, sometimes, you know, you have to figure out the type of soils you have, you know, the exposure. And once you figure that out, there is a genre of plants out there that'll thrive in this particular environment. Thank you so much. The one thing is that I just wanted pretty flowers. I don't want more of these green ferns that look like hedges and things. I, I, I want some, some, some flowers. Yeah, you can get flowers. I mean, from, from a ground cover standpoint, uh, there's moss flocks, uh, which has a flower um, that, that can thrive in a, in, in a thin soil environment. You know, there are plants out there that work uh, in, in your particular scenario. We just got to find them for you. And let me, let me turn you on to these type of plants, okay? Thank you so much. And thank <laughs> you for your call. And a reminder that our number here is 212-209-2877. If you want to speak to Pete Morosky, uh, uh, the owner of Native Landscapes and Garden Center in Pauling, New York, who visits our show regularly to advise us on what's going on and um, how to relate to the changes in the environment. This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM streaming live at WBAI.org. Is this a, a good time to do any planting or do we have to wait to the spring? No, this is a very good time to do planting and not only planting Leonard, but uh, transplanting, uh, splitting of perennials, you know, and, and this fall more so than uh, many previous falls because of all the hydration we've had and all the water that's in the ground. The plant will go through less shock this year than they have in the past. And um, we're out there all the time planting. In fact, we just 
we're planting like 20 foot white spruces at the moment uh, on, on a property uh, up here in Pauling. And, uh, you know, the nice part about planting this time of year is you don't have to be burdened by watering every day that the, the, there's so much water in the soil right now that you plant it, you just let it go and mother nature will take it from here. So a lot of, this is a, a wonderful time to plant and you can plant right up until the ground freezes and beyond. For instance, you know, these weather trends that we're having right now go from warm to cold to warm to cold. And yes, it, 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 it's it's cold now, but the, the ground hasn't froze yet. And it might freeze uh, in December, but in January, it might thaw out again and you can go back to planting. So yes, fall uh, is, is a wonderful time to plant, transplant, split your perennials and, and move things around in the garden uh, without with, with, with a high success rate. Okay, well, let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Yeah, thank you for, yes. Yeah. I'd like to know what kind of uh, uh, food or roots can be grown during the winter when it's snowing. What kind? Uh, turnips. You can plant turnips in the ground when it's, when it's cold. Uh, a lot of the garlic can be, can be left in the ground to mature for spring. You know, uh, there's a lot of root uh, plants, uh, carrots, uh, can be left in but the they, ground if, if mulch drill heavy. Onions. onions, too, yes. You know, a lot of the bulby uh, root uh, vegetables uh, can be left in the ground through the winter. You know, the important thing is that you mulch them pretty good so that they don't get those fluctuation in temperatures that, you know, the ground temperature stays, you know, within a few degrees of freezing rather than, you know, getting really, really cold. That's that's how you you know you have a success rate with a lot of your vegetable plantings. If, if I'm going to buy, let's say, uh, um, a soil in the store, is there a soil that I should stay away from and a type that I should buy? Stay away from soils that have synthetic fertilizers in them, and go with more of a soil loaded with compost, a more of a slow release uh, nutrition, nutritionally. Uh, uh, a valued soil that doesn't have any chemicals in it. Stay away from the chemical uh, uh, type the soils. It, it, what's that? Will that be listed, the ingredients on the bag? Yes, all bags have the list of ingredients, and you want to make sure it's, a, it, it, it's an organic soil conditioner full of compost. And I don't know where you live, sir, but if you have a situation where you can compost in your yard. You can almost make your own soil uh, with table scraps, staying away from meat, veg use vegetables, leaves. Leaves decompose and become leaf soil. It's the best soil in the world because it has micronutrients in it. You know, this is the stuff you want for your garden and for your plants because they'll respond to these types of soils and, and these soil additives. Thank you so much for your call. And Pete, we have just about a little over a minute left. Uh, any things you want to add before uh, I have to say goodbye? Yes, just, you know, we all should prepare for the worst this winter when it comes to snow and cold. Um, this way, we're not taken by surprise. And, you know, maintenance around the property, you know, keeping keeping it clear around the house so that we don't have you know, entryways for uh, mice and varmints to get into the house. Uh, as we said in the beginning of the show, um, you know, 
keep the gutters clean, um, keep your plants healthy, keep your plants mulched, you know, stay with uh, uh, leaf mold or leaf mulch uh, in and around your property and just stay organic and stay away from pesticides and anything of that sort. And if you've uh, planted something in a pot, uh, should you be, uh, when do you know that you have to repot it? Well, uh, in, in a pot outside, um, it'll it'll start um, it'll start bulging, um, and it'll it, the roots will start maybe coming out of the bottom of the plant. You know, it, it, if it's a small container, you can lift it right out of the container and see if it's um, if it's uh, root bound, and if it is, score it and put it in a bigger container. For instance, when it comes to outside plantings, you know, you, the, the rule of thumb is to use a plant that is hardy two zones colder than where you live and it's fine in the container you know i we do a lot of outdoor container planting and sometimes it's necessary to insulate around the outside of the containers but you know how beautiful is an outdoor container in the middle of the winter Pete, we have to, uh, on your porch when it's when it's you know we have to leave it there and you, you want to give out that email address one more time in case people want to get in touch with you yeah it's pete at native landscaping.net uh, contact me anytime, and I'll do the best I can to answer your questions. And Pete Moroski, thank you so much for being on our show again. I look forward to our next visit. And that brings us to the end of today's show. If you'd like to hear more of our shows, you can access our archives at WBAI.org. We're also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else that podcasts are available. And you'll find links to our, our over 500 past shows at LeonardLopateAtLarge.com. If you'd like to write to me, my email address is LeonardLopate at WBAI.org. Before I sign off today, I need to take a moment to ask you to support WBAI. We need all of our listeners who have the finances to do so to step up and make a tax-deductible contribution at whatever level they're comfortable with by going online to give to WBAI.org or by calling 212-209-2950 right now to keep the kind of unique, in-depth content we bring you on the show coming to you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. That's 212-209-2950 or online give to WBAI.org. Without your help, there's no way that this historic station, the only one in the New York radio dial that's completely listener-sponsored, can stay on the air. Uh, a great way to support BAI throughout the year is to become a sustaining member for $10, $15, or whatever level you choose, what we call a BAI buddy. So why not make that call right now in the name of London Lopate at Large so we can keep bringing you the kind of programming you won't hear anywhere else. Again, the number to call, 212-209-2950 or go online to give to WBAI.org. And to everyone who's already uh, stepped up to support WBAI in the name of London Lopate at Large, we thank you very much. We're off tomorrow, but I hope you can join us again on Thursday when Professors Charles Fuchs and Abby Gluck will discuss a new book that they've edited called A New Deal for Cancer, Lessons from a 50-Year War. You won't want to miss it, and we'll see you then.